So is gravity relative as well? That's the thing I keep wondering about. Kung fu is magic, Dustin. Kung fu? Okay. Um, That's what I've learned. Yeah. Just don't worry about it. I, I feel like when I was watching Ang Lee's Gravity, I kept thinking about Sandra Bullock um, the whole time I was watching the movie. But Huh. Interesting. No, not, no I actually didn't think of those things at all. Uh, I thought a lot about uh, Tom Hooper's Cats, the uh, <laughs> the musical sensation of 2019. Uh, look, great dance choreography in that movie. Uh, sure, you have to look at some horrifying digital fur to, to get to that dance choreography, but it's good choreography. And uh, I, I thought a lot about just how beautifully balletic these uh, these fight scenes are. I mean, they uh, are. If, you, if, if you watch The Matrix and you're like, that Yin Wuping guy's up to something, something cool, and you never got to this, you are missing out, because this... Who boy, yeah. when he has like real martial artists and dancers available to do the choreography, it is a next level thing, man. It really is. It really is. And I think uh, a lot of audiences were, I mean, really well taken with the film. And the film was very successful and very popular. Yeah. But I do think a lot of uh, audiences were uh, taken aback by it because they were expecting a much more real life kind of martial arts movie. And it, it's a <laughs> fantasy film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I it's mean, one it, of the things I expected. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you guys know this. It didn't do great in uh, China. Yeah. Uh, but it was a huge hit, and they were kind of hoping it would, and it just didn't cross over, but it was a huge hit everywhere else. But I guess uh, uh, mainland audiences had a hard time with uh, Chow Yun-Fat's accent. Uh, uh, right, I guess he couldn't nail the like the old-timiness of the whatever you know particularities of uh, 17th century uh, you know Chinese were, were going on. He couldn't nail the accent. He felt weird about it, and uh, I guess uh, audiences mainly in China were like, eh. Not so much, yeah. It's, yeah, it's like... Uh, I guess it'd be like Mark Wahlberg trying to do a British accent or something. That's kind of the... Uh, oh, I don't need that. Yeah. Well, from, well, what, I was, well, from what I was reading, it was also Michelle Yeoh. And, oh, and, uh, and Michelle Yeoh's and accent one was of the also others. troubling. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think Zheng Zhi is the only one that has the authentic Beijing accent, or, or, or I think it's Beijing. Yeah, yeah, but then there's even like a, a time difference, too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think Pepe I Chang had problems, too, because yeah. she's Cantonese yep. uh, speaker uh, as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, I didn't know that uh, Michelle yeah, also had trouble with it. But yeah, that's, I've just always found that an interesting quirk of this movie's production, but yeah. uh, that it was such a huge hit internationally. It you're, was a humongous hit, yeah. But you're well, right. Well, less non, <laughs> non, uh, Chinese speakers are all dumb to the fact. No, well, well, yeah, we didn't know. But uh, again, to that point. It all point, sounds like Chinese to me. But yeah. again, uh, yeah, mainland and Hong Kong audiences obviously have like uh, an appreciation for wuxia. They understand this like genre's uh, particularities and features. And you're right, Dustin, like there's a lot of stuff in here that's not going to make sense to a non like wuxia indoctrinated audience. It's, right. It really is cool that it was such a huge hit when it came out. Yeah, it was very, very cool. So um, anyway, um, hello again. Welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. And we're going to be talking about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, if you didn't read the label before you hit play. And uh, I'm still Dustin. I still thought we were talking about Angley's Gravity. Oh, that's not a movie, Arthur. Oh, okay. Well, I'm way off then. I'm Arthur. <laughs> I am Dalton. And uh, we are so glad that you're here tuning in with us to talk about movies. Now, to warn you in case it's the first time, because you've made the New Year's resolution of... Listening to more podcasts? Listening to more podcasts. I mean, Caligari has already happened. Specifically listening to D-list uh, local podcasts? Yes. There you go. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's a New Year's uh, resolution. We have New Zealand's uh, second most popular folk parody <laughs> Um, yeah, we're Oklahoma City's third most popular uh, film podcast. <laughs> exactly. Um, and we're so glad to be talking with you, but we've got to tell you something about the show is that it is an analysis show, not a review show. That's true. And that does mean we do not avoid spoilers. However, we do avoid spoilers at the top half of the show. As we, best we can. As best we can. So the synopsis and our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, our spoiler light, um, light est, I guess you might say. And then um, the weight increases as we uh, move on to expanding the syllabus. And finally, once we get down to business and do some real analysis of the film, uh, we don't care about spoilers at all. At that point. Yeah, much like a training montage you might find in a kung fu film, we will progressively present you with more and more content and more and more spoilers to handle. Uh, the last disclaimer I want to point out is that as a good trash genre cast, we do good trash movies, typically, and not so much these anti-trash films like <clears throat> last week's uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and uh, this week's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And we do that in the month of January only when we do our little anti-trash marathon. But Arthur has constructed a completely blind, hidden list of films uh, for this run uh, all related to the number 20 since it is 2020 yes yes yeah that's right last week uh, he gave us the uh, 1920 classic having dr caligari as dustin mentioned and this week a 20 year old this year film crouching tiger hidden dragon so there you go 20 years old god oh boy wow, i remember buying this a blockbuster hold wow up. yeah what's well, a blockbuster <laughs> i'm right <laughs> It's I what those were just movies you saw. Yeah, no, they uh, they had they they had a store you could go to see. <laughs> ah, 
Uh, it was made of brick and mortar. You <laughs> could talk to an annoying college uh, pothead about uh, Quentin Tarantino <laughs> and the Boondock Saints. That's a, that is a uh, a post-punk band. I want you to start. <laughs> <laughs> Quentin Tarantino and the Boondock Saints. Oh, my oh, goodness. Oh. What does that band oh. sound like? Just hopped Not up good. on cocaine. Oh. And, yeah, just real, real Irish. Yeah, Not real, in a good way. Real dropkick Murphys, but bad. bad. Mm. Oh, boy. Oh, I am my. not comfortable with this conversation. Well, let's move on to a synopsis. I think we'll be much more comfortable with that. Let's hear that, Arthur. Well, let's hope so. 20 years ago, Ang Lee's martial arts masterpiece from Taiwan took Hollywood and America by storm. Made on a budget of $17 million, the film would go on to become America's highest-grossing internationally produced foreign language film, a lot of modifiers, bringing in $128 million. Lee's film also held the record for most Academy Award nominations for a non-English language film at 10 and winning four foreign language, art direction, score, and cinematography. It held the record until 2018's Roma tied it for most nominations. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is a tale of warriors, thieves, swords, and criminal underworlds. Set amidst the Qing Dynasty in 18th century China, the film centers on a young governor's daughter, Zhen Yu. Zhen is engaged to be married, yet she desires a life of freedom and adventure like the great warriors Li Mubai and Yushu Lin. Uh, when Mubai's famed sword goes missing, an old foe rises from the shadows and Jin's past comes back to haunt her. Mubai and Shu Lin must find the stolen sword and avenge past wrongdoings, while Jen must carve out a path to her future. Ooh, that's nice. a good synopsis. Thank I you, like Arthur. It. Very, very well done. It's sir. a tricky synopsis to put together. There's a lot happening in this movie. It's an epic. It's yeah. Big in scope and theme. A lot of plot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, this is your first time watch, right? Correct. Arthur? Okay, well, I want your review first, then. I want, I want the peer review the, from you. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, to your earlier point about not expecting the type of martial arts in this film i was i was expecting i i knew about the 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 wire fighting stuff and uh and so i i kind of remember that and i i, I was kind of crossing this with house of flying daggers in my head mm-hmm. uh, because i think house of flying daggers has a lot of the treetop battling stuff as mm-hmm. well yes um so i was kind of familiar with it but i wasn't expecting such a i guess soft hitting uh form of martial arts especially like the early one where uh uh, Xing Xi and um, Michelle Yeoh battle the, the first time. Oh, such a good uh, one. Which is a great... It's just, they have a, two great battles in this film, and, and for much different reasons, because yeah. the second one is that much more hard-hitting sword fight, which is just cool. Mm. But you're right, the the early ones, a lot of a lot of Tai Chi, a lot of soft martial arts yeah. in those openings. Uh, and so uh, I, I rem- was reminded of Man of Tai Chi, which is a lot of that just kind of moving the energy around and yeah. force-pushing people, essentially, which is kind of fun. Uh but it's really good. It was a lot. I always had it in my head that this was a like, prestige drama type film just because of its performance with, I, I knew it was pretty strong performance at the Academy Awards. Yeah. And it's one of those very rare international films that has a huge, probably more so than any international movie that I can think of. Even Roma, I would say it, it had such a huge penetration. I mean, 2000, I was what, 14 I wasn't a movie person, and, and you know I knew what Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was. I hadn't seen it, but I was familiar with yeah. it. And, and you just don't have that many international movies. You know, I think Pan's Labyrinth maybe had some of that penetration. Parasite seemed to have a, a pretty strong penetration as well, uh, and Roma to an extent. I think mainly just because of Netflix. Yeah, the huge ad buys Netflix were doing. Yeah, um, but I mean, if you'd put Roma in theaters, it wouldn't have had nearly the the saturation that that Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon had. And to this day, I don't think any movie has touched that. It's a real lightning in a bottle situation, man. Yeah. 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 Uh, and really sparked a kind of vitalization and, and market for these films in America, you know, and which is, is really cool. Um, and so I really didn't know what to expect. And so it kind of had this kind of campy, melodramatic Kung Fu narrative to it, which was really cool, which wasn't uh, something I was expecting. A lot more humor mm-hmm. in it than I was expecting. A lot of uh, jokes. Yeah, and the whole uh, when uh, Xing Xi goes to the restaurant uh, in the third act. We uh, will talk about that being a uh, reference to a, another moment in martial arts oh, film's cool. history later. Yeah, yeah, but that's just a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. uh, when all Does the big bad boys... Come drink with yeah, me. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, all the big bad boys try to take her out. And so good. She just works them all. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I love the scene after that, the aftermath of that yeah, scene. We'll it's talk great. about that. I mean, so great funny. comedic beats. Yeah. That I wasn't expecting, yeah. and I was had some something much different in my mind, and then blending that with these kind of fantastical elements with the the wire work and stuff was really interesting. Um, I think it comes together. I mean, it looks great. It's gorgeous, uh, a beautiful film, and and to see that at one for cinematography is no shock because I mean it's gorgeously shot, and and the the landscapes and the exteriors that the filming locations oh, is just so pretty. beautiful. Yeah, uh, and every you know, um, oh my goodness, I forgot, I forgot his name. 
uh, Chow Yun Fat. Yeah, Chow Yun Fat is, is fantastic. Here, Michelle Yeoh is awesome. Oh, I mean, mm-hmm. she's great. Oh. I mean, it's a stellar cast right there. I mean, those those three those names. three leads right there. Watch I mean, them all day. Yeah. Everybody's great in it, but yeah, the three of them are like doing some really great acting. Yeah, and there's something away. I, I, we talk about this a lot with Drive, and you know, kind of taking that art house aesthetic and, and marrying it with that genre sensibility, right? Uh, and I think that's what Ang Lee's doing here, and, and very well. Um, because I started watching the sequel, uh, sort of Destiny. And Immediately, I just wasn't as interested. It doesn't do it. It's more of an action movie. Yeah. yeah, and it's just not as interesting or dynamic. Mm. And I think that's what Lee taps into so well here is just blending all that together to, to elevate what seems to be kind of a simple or lost genre, especially for an American audience, and mm. then really infusing it with something uh, dynamic. Uh, my really only qualm with the film is the uh, flashback with Lowe. Um, really? Mo- mostly because of the placement. I, I, okay. I think the narrative is important. I think it's a fascinating turn mm. with it. It just feels like we hit a wall and we got to like do this whole thing. And you it's very it long else in the movie. Yeah. Okay. I, I, it's okay. more of that kind of a structural thing. Gotcha. And, and that's really my only qualm. I, I think this movie's great. I, I think it is uh, very well put together. It holds up incredibly well. It looks like it could have come out yesterday. Um, it, it, you know, everything holds up about it. And so, yeah, I, I'm glad we got to watch it. I appreciate it quite a bit and, uh, would definitely revisit this one. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you think of, um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Well, this was not a first watch for me, but it was close to it. I, I haven't watched this movie in its entirety since, uh, it first came out in 2000. Uh, I can't remember if I saw it in theaters, but I saw it a lot the year it came out. Uh, my, uh, my, my, birth father was still with us at that time he was a big martial arts nut so watched with him a lot but i watched with my my adopted dad and my mom a lot too they both like this movie uh so this this movie as arthur said was really a, a big cultural moment uh in the u.s the, to have this this wushu film kind of taking the country by storm um i mean they they put out uh they even the vhs uh of crashing tiger hidden dragon had had a dubbed edition that's how big this movie was they Whoa. it was so big they put out a Big sticker on the the cover, dubbed, dummy. You can watch this one too. Like it's delightful to me. Uh, but yeah, I, I uh, was really really excited to revisit this, and just from minute one, I'm sucked in. I I don't know what there is a magic to this film that is is really something special. Uh, I, I, that's. Uh, why I was so shocked when Arthur didn't enjoy the flashback sequence. I mean, this a fair point about its placement. I remembered that there was a lengthy flashback, so when it got to it, I was just, I was like, oh, hey, it's this part of the movie. I remember this. Uh, it was one of the few things I remembered about the movie. Uh, but yeah, I, I am sucked in for a minute go. Uh, and that's not to say that I understand like every nuance of, of the politicking that's going on, because there's some of that oh, in yeah, this no. film. I don't understand any yeah. of it. Uh, I don't really understand the uh, relationship of the guy whose manner they're hanging out with, but I know I like that character, Sir T. He yeah. rules. Sir T is the best, one of my favorite characters. Don't really understand who he is. I just know he's not the governor. Uh, my point is, though, even without like you know a, a robust understanding of mm-hmm. uh, you know the history of the Chinese dynasties and yeah. uh, you know the history of uh, of that country, it, it is so transportive. Uh, Ang Lee does such a good job of explaining to you what you need to know and letting all the other stuff kind of sit in the background and you can learn more about it if you're interested. Uh, you can learn more about how these Wudan guys are basically the Jedi of a bunch of Chinese folk tales, which rules and I was very interested to learn. But yeah, you don't need to know that to understand. Just, okay, the Wudan are sword fighters. That's all you need to know. We don't need any backstory. Uh, the only backstory you need is things that pertain to character and I think that's what this film has going for it mm-hmm. is nuance and depth of character we've talked on this show a lot about as you know english speakers trying to get an entry point into actress performances when they're you know they're speaking in a a language that we we don't speak uh and i think the the more uh exposure that i I get throughout my life to to foreign language that's such a weird way we have of talking about international cinema the more i watch international cinema that's a better way to put it uh i i've come to find that it's it's a lot of watching eyes because yeah the tone stuff it's you'll get some of it especially you know romance languages mm-hmm. you're closer to english you'll kind of understand but yeah the tone stuff you're not going to really be able to get with with chinese as an english speaker so especially as a tonal language exactly itself, yeah. being, exa- i was thinking about that but yeah but watching faces michelle yo does so much in the scenes that she has with chow young fat they both do but uh, the, the scenes in which they talk about their forbidden love are so tense 
ooh, are they sexy. They're so good. You want these two to kiss each other so bad. And they're, like, on the other end of a table from each other every time. Like, there is a lot of physical separation between the two of them in these scenes. Just the blocking of those conversations alone is great. But watching their faces in these these moments, you, they'll steal glances at each other. Uh, and they'll pause as they're saying something. Like, they're changing their mind about what they were going to say. Like, all kinds of little nuances like that that come from the writing and the direction of the performances. Uh, it's just really great. And uh, Zhang Ji gives... A truly like all time great movie brat performance, uh, in a way that is nuanced and empathetic, and you you are frustrated with with Jen, and you want to see her not be a dick. Uh, and when the film takes turns that it does, and you see her character waffling back and forth between you know uh, nobility and villainy, it's it is a real roller coaster ride. It, that's fun to be on. Like, yeah, I couldn't quite remember where her journey goes in this film because uh, yeah, it's been twenty years since I watched it start to finish. Uh, never done it start to finish as an adult, so watching that journey unfold is is just so great. And the fact that I am only now about to talk about the martial arts in this film, I think, is a credit to how good this movie is. Uh, yeah, Ang Lee had a weird experiment. I want to expose international audiences to the kinds of like really cool movies I watch as a kid and to try and say, we're going to make the best wushu movie ever. It's going to be so damn good that people who don't understand the genre are going to think it's the coolest thing they've ever seen. That's a, that's a bold filmmaking experiment. Uh, it makes sense. This is the guy that's out here trying to make, you know, high frame rate movies. He's interested in what this medium of storytelling can do and not just for whatever country he happens to be yeah. living in at the time. Right. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't matter. I, that's something I've always appreciated about Ang Lee and I mean, all, all filmmakers who work in multiple countries, but uh, Ang Lee, I think is one of the, the really notable ones uh, from earlier in this, you know, the century uh, that, you know, we'll probably be talking about at the end of this century uh, as somebody that works in multiple markets and finds a way, even when his, his experiments don't always land, he finds a way to work in multiple languages and multiple cultures because he understands that the film is is visual spectacle, but it's also empathy and, and you know human stories. Uh, but all of that that fun highfalutin stuff I just said out of the way, boy, how do I like these sword fights? Mmm, love it. Ugh. Uh, from every moment uh, that a, a punch is thrown. <laughs> It, you can't take you've never seen anything so cool. I had forgotten how good the fight choreography in this movie is. And I've seen quite a few Yin Wuping uh, choreographed movies. Man, is this movie cool. Ugh. Uh, and they just pull out all the stops. And that's that speaks to the high caliber of, of talent that is in this movie. The, the, the high background in dance and martial arts that all these actors have. It just allows the fight team to do so much more. And the influence on this movie cannot be understated. Uh, it is obviously the one-two punch of The Matrix and Crouching Tiger that kind of uh, change American films' relationship to, to martial arts. But I, I really think this one more, even more uh, than The Matrix just kind of taught Hollywood what you can do if you take the time to train actors in the things you're going to ask of them. Uh, and uh, it really is, there's not anything like it. I, I'm so excited to get into analysis. Dustin, what do you think about this thumbs up, thumbs down review? You, you love it, right? What yeah. I think about your review, shall I review your no, review? No, you can if you want, I guess. I, I, but I don't no, I just, really care to. No, I didn't think you wanted to. I meant the movie, bud. I think the stuff you said was fine, though. Oh, thanks. That's sweet of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little rambly there at the end, uh, if you ask me, but uh, I'll take it. What do you like about this movie? Well, I like everything about this movie. I know, right? Movie. It's like, hard to stay on topic. And so, um, you know, Dalton has seen it once and hasn't really seen it all the way through for a long time. Arthur's seen it for the first time. I watch this movie four or five times a year. It's a, you know, it's a block of my dissertation. <laughs> It's, that makes sense. Uh, so yeah. it's it, this is this is a big deal to me. This movie is, I'm and, sure, and yeah, absolutely. Love. For all these reasons I was just talking about, right? Yeah, all I mean, I, I these cultural I, penetrations and things. I have, I have very little else to say. You know, that would be in addition to uh, what you guys have already pointed out. But I would point out that the the art house side of it as well is it's very philosophical. It's very yeah. you know yeah. uh, this idea of suffering and escaping suffering and nobility and duty. And those kinds of questions and individuality and freedom, which is, uh, you know, pretty Western um, as a concept that's sort of thrown in the mix of what would be a more traditional, a, you, know, you know, chivalric code, all the uh, Chinese um, 
culture. It's a nuance of Ang Lee's upbringing as a Taiwanese American, right? Like, yeah. it's, it, there's a whole lot going on in here, like, thematically. You're right. And so, I mean, so it's weaving all of that stuff in there with awesome kung fu, with this amazing uh, set of love stories. Really interesting set of love stories. And so, I mean, I think Lo and, and Jen's love story is, is as interesting um, as, I mean, I mean, I much prefer watching Michelle Yao and Chow Yun-Fat. Oh, I think do the, Silk Fox and Jen's love story is as interesting as either of those two. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. And so all of, all of that stuff is just really, really fascinating to me. Uh, can we talk about costumes? Oh, can we? Can, can yeah. we? Oh, okay. Which one? All of them. Um, specifically, um, her wedding dress. Good dress. That red silk wedding dress is immaculate. It's just, yeah. it's absolutely amazing. And then just like little bits and pieces that they throw in uh, throughout the film. You know, the, the strange weapons in the uh, big. Uh, Tea room yeah, the, fight. Yeah. the sword that's two swords, the hooked swords, the spear. Yeah, it's yeah, all, yeah oh, yeah. oh, in the tea room. Get yeah, the guy with the big uh, maces. Love yeah, that guy. Yeah, love that oh, guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the shingy uh, antler knives are very interesting as well. Oh, I love when that guy we, shows up. We don't see him very long, which is too bad. Rip. But um, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, force I mean, him out for a great one. Um, and Michelle Yao wielding the hook swords oh, is really. I just wanted much more of that. I, I really wanted that to fight scene to just extend in that one section. For a long time. Uh, so I love that kind of stuff. It's, it's very, very cool. It's very, very fun. And uh, yeah, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's, it, it's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And I do like the fact that it is sort of a, an ambiguous ending as well. And yeah. we, won't, we, won't, we won't spoil that at sure. this point. Yeah. But I do like its ambiguity and the way in which it remains in that world of yeah. fairy tale mm-hmm. and, that, and that world of, well, what exactly is getting your wish and what does that actually look like? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's also something that's quite fascinating to me as well. So yeah, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's a great movie and it's an important movie. And again, it's the thing that I've been writing about a bit. So it's it's a big deal in many, many ways for me. So there you go, dear listener. We like this movie, Shocking No One. Uh, it's, I mean, it's up all of our alleys. Yeah. So I guess now we need to expand the syllabus. So you're going to teach a class of some sort. The history of China, obviously. <laughs> not not, not all, me, buddy. Because all of us are so qualified so for that one. We're... we're one of us is barely qualified to teach a class on Chinese cinema. I could probably cinema. teach you the history of the Chinese buffet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could teach you the history of General Tso's chicken and uh, its relation to Chinese-American cuisine, and that's because I watched a documentary. That's about the only authoritative yeah. take I have on Boy, howdy. the, this was the an Chinese in- people. Yeah, this, and was a, this is a hard <laughs> class program. Uh, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy about it. I put something my, together. Yeah, oh, I did too. Okay, we have a class, so tell me what the what the course is, and tell me what the module or the particular week is that you're using this film, and what would you add to that? How would you expand the syllabus here by additional readings or viewings or whatever, and how would you sort of shape that bit of the course or the course itself? I go to you first, Dalton, because you talked so prepared just then. Uh, well, I, I thought about doing uh, something about kung fu movies and how they became international. I was like, wait a second, that's Dustin's thesis. I'm not going to step on his toes. I don't know if he's going to talk about this that this week. Uh, I thought you might. So I decided, and plus I was like, there's no way I'm prepared to talk about this. I have not seen enough uh, Shaw Brothers movies. So I, I've decided to, to go down a, a route, uh, one, one of my, my patented approaches <clears throat> for programming this show. I'm about to pitch yet another class where I convince a, a student body that there's a genre they didn't know about. Uh, uh, it's one of those weeks. Uh, but we, we're going to be doing a class about uh, action love stories because I think there's way more of them than you would... Um, oh, Mr. And, and Mrs. Smith. Well, like, that's the first one that comes to mind, right? I kept that one off the class. Mm, didn't Night and day. One. Die hard. Okay, give me a second. I'll tell you <laughs> if you if you would quit being so bratty. Uh, Nine Star Wars movies. Oh boy! No, I, uh, the, the criteria for this is that the the relationship has to be as central as the action. Yes. Right. Uh, as Dustin. So Die Hard. Well, okay, you can make the case for Die Hard. I didn't put it on here. Point Break is the better case. Oh my God, it is the better case. Program your own class, damn it! I got my selections I made already. Mess with you. I know you do. Uh, our, our listeners uh, who want more uh, information on why Dustin's being so mean to me can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM to get access to those bonus episodes. Mm. Anyway. Uh, oh, good plug. Yeah, you know I'm good at it. Uh, so uh, I decided. Anything but. You son of a bitch. Uh, so uh, as Dustin mentioned, this this is a film with a lot going on, right? Like in the first 10 minutes, uh, Chow Yun-Fat's talking about how I, I looked into the center of existence and there's nothing. There's nothing. That's heavy. 
that's heavy in a movie with this many kicks. Uh, so I, I really did try to, to pick some things where these relationships are, are central. Uh, the first one I started with is uh, True Romance. I can't believe uh, oh. Tarantino came up already on this episode. We try not to invoke him. Uh, but that this is Tarantino's uh, screenplay uh, directed by the, the great late... If you invoke him, he comes here. Uh, it doesn't take much. God, that'd be uh, a wild episode. If you say Tarantino's three name three times in a bathroom with the lights off, uh, your feet get tickled. <laughs> Don't do it. Oh, no. Uh, you wake up in a trunk. Yeah. So anyway, True Romance, directed by the late great Tony Scott, written by Tarantino, uh, is is a film that I like a lot. Uh, it, it's uh, the story of uh, Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette uh, going on some misadventures, getting into some crime, and falling in love. I hope it's a documentary just about Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette I would falling in that. love. I uh, would love to. When I, man, I, I like to think, uh, you, you know, you always hear about the great uh, movie couples hating each other on set. I hope this isn't the case. Uh, th- this is a film that I, I just like a whole lot, and I, I, th- I think the relationship is so integral to the film, much in the way that the, the love stories are integral to Crouching Tiger. Uh, I mean, true romance... True to its name is really more a romance story than it is anything else, but it also has uh, maybe one of the most brutal hand-to-hand fights featuring a woman in all of film. Uh, there's a scene in this movie where Patricia Arquette and uh, another late great, um, oh my God, James Gandolfini, beat the ever-loving tar out of each other, and it's an upsetting scene. Like uh, full disclosure, if you have not seen this, like content warning, it's it is unpleasant, but it. it is a realistic, unvarnished fight scene that I, I think is is honest in the ways in which violence uh, occur in this world and and are practical and uh, how to defend yourself against larger, bigger people than you. Find sharp things, uh, but again, it's it's just a a brutal fight scene that reminds you what you can do with violence when you've invested in your characters. Uh, and I think this is uh, this speaks as much to the performances of the film as the screenplay. Uh, I, I think Patricia Arquette and Christian Slater are probably yeah, best best performances of the '90s for either one of them. I think uh, that's a like I, I didn't do the homework on that, but I just love the performances in this movie. I think there's a lot to like here, uh, and that's where we're going to start. Uh, we're going to move on to a little television work. After that, we're going to look at the Americans, uh, the FX series that just recently wrapped with uh, Carrie Russell. Uh, and uh, oh, mm, can't think of his name, but I sure do like him as an actor. Not Matthew Rice. Thank you, Arthur Matthew Reese. Uh, those of you not in the know, The Americans is a uh, show set in the '80s about uh, Soviet deep cover operatives living in the United States under assumed identities. Uh, and it's uh, yeah, sure, lots of fun Cold War espionage stuff going on, but it's also very much about how the hell do you hold a marriage together uh, in America? Uh, it's 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 a thing you have to do if you decide to get married. Uh, is keep it. Keep it on the tracks. Uh, and uh, it's not a show I've managed to finish yet. I'm still uh, ooh, like a season and a half behind. I know it just recently ended. But even the first couple of seasons of this show, you can feel the show slowly becoming a family drama in a lot of ways. Uh, and it, it's a very interesting television show in that regard. We probably wouldn't cover the whole thing in a class, obviously, maybe some selected episodes and scenes. Uh, but I, I think you can do a lot uh, with this show in terms of showing uh, how that juxtaposition of you know emotionally revealing conversations and uh, brutal fight choreography uh, are really a potent combination. Next up, one of the great uh, love stories and another one of the Scott brothers from the early 90s, it's Thelma and Louise, uh, one of my favorite films that I discovered uh, because of this show last year. Um, nice. Uh, yeah, just a great film. Uh, you can go listen to our episode about it if you want to hear more. Uh, lastly, I decided we needed a couple of... Just we needed a, a we needed something silly and funny, so I got "Romancing the Stone" on here, uh, nice. another film we've talked about on the show. Uh, it just felt like a good good spot here. Uh, finally, I want to get some real snappy dialogue in there uh, that's not Tarantino. So we're gonna do "Out of Sight," uh, the Soderbergh film uh, with Jennifer Lopez and George Clooney. Just a good movie, uh, really fun. Don Cheadle uh, and an incredible supporting performance here too. Uh, uh, I haven't seen this movie in a while, but. Uh, I would love to revisit it because uh, I remember it not at all being what I thought it was going to be, and still being very impressed with it. Uh, and finally, let's get a let's get a big franchise entry in here to see what you can do with a franchise, especially if you invest in your characters. Let's do Casino Royale. Uh, I think the fact that we got a James Bond movie that uh, could potentially make somebody cry, maybe a person like me who cries easily in movies. Uh, yeah, I the fact that they started Daniel Craig's run as James Bond with a uh, a story that, uh, sure, there's a fridging involved, and that's not great. But man, is Ava Green good in this movie? And do you believe that these two are attracted to each other? 
Uh, it doesn't hurt that they look the way that they do, but they have yes. real palpable on-screen chemistry. Um, and it's a, a shockingly uh, effective amount uh, of time is spent developing this relationship. I'm not going to say they're the most well-drawn characters in the world, but we spend enough quiet moments with the two of them that it makes sense. Uh, for academia literature, we might actually get some some good stuff in this class. There's a lot of great research on... Uh, danger uh, and how it uh, affects attraction um there's a, a study that i uh, can't remember any of the authors of that uh, I, I learned about in my undergrad studies uh where they would uh, pair some couples together you know people didn't know each other uh, and they would have uh, the control group just rate each other's attractiveness uh and then the actual experimented upon couples would have to cross a spoopy uh rickety bridge uh and then tr- rate each other's attractiveness levels and yeah go figure the people who just got the shit scared out of them found each other more attractive uh, so I think we could actually get some real like legwork done uh, about the nuances of uh, attraction and love uh, and human intimacy and uh, how these things feed into life or death scenarios and how, uh, look, just because action romance movies are good does not mean uh, life or death scenarios are a good way to uh, build a relationship. Uh, so we might actually get some good legwork done here in this class. It's not just about cinema, but uh, I think it'd be an interesting course and uh, not about Kung Fu, which was... Uh, a challenge. Arthur, uh, what, what are you going to tell the nice people that uh, have assembled to, to hear your words uh, in this class? I think we might just do like a week on this. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I thought a lot. Of, I really like Jin Yu's character and uh, that that I, dynamic that she's playing with as, mm. as this kind of uh, anti-hero-ish, bradish type character. And I, I thought Real a lot proto about proto Kylo Ren vibes. Yeah, I, I really did think a lot about her. And, and I did think a lot about Star Wars, but I thought a lot about Vader. Mm. Um, and, and so I think I would talk a lot about the uh, the heel face turn mm. trope um, in movies where the, uh, the bad guy goes good uh, or struggles with those ideas of morality and, and which way they should go and, and kind of struggling with that. And that's the struggle really here with uh, Jin throughout the film, uh, both from a, um, you know, moral relationship status with low, but also from just a should I be a warrior bad by bad guy uh kicking a lot of butt and so I think it's a really interesting dynamic uh and so i think let's let's have a little fun though let's go i mean can't think about heels and faces without thinking about wrestling um and so we might just do some fun wrestling stuff, you know talk yeah. about the history there Ooh. Uh, some of those storylines and like the, Hulk Hogan's Hollywood Hogan turn specifically, yeah, yeah I'd yeah, probably yeah. do that or or Austin turning uh, mm-hmm. on on uh, the Rock when he aligned with Vince. I was about to say you could just yeah. do Dwayne Johnson's career, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, a lot yeah. of turns oh, yeah. in that career, uh, you know, just the Rock himself, and, yeah, and, yeah. And I think it's a lot of fun to kind of play with that idea. But then I would move into Return of the Jedi, uh, where we kind of see the culmination of Vader's arc there and, mm. and how that plays out. Uh, as as the mentor and him dealing with those struggles internally as well. Uh, and then I would also uh, uh, go to, I think, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, uh, and I would really talk about Nebula. Nebula's I think great. Karen Gillan's performance as Nebula and Nebula's arc through that, uh, those two films and the two uh, Avengers mega movies, hmm. um, is just some of the best work in that entire universe. Uh, and those 24 films or whatever it is yeah. that they've done, I think Karen Gillan is a standout performer, especially in Endgame where that is all culminating. Uh, it's it's a fantastic performance, and the way she plays it, but also that kind of struggle of, because she is more of a creature rather than a sentient being, and, mm. and she's dealing with this programming issue rather than a learned behavior. And so I, I think there's an extra layer there that's really interesting. Uh, and the empathy and ethos that she brings to it is just great. It's Yeah, it's wild what a good performance she's doing in these movies. Uh, and she's not the only one, but it, yeah. really, you're right, Arthur. I mean, she is a standout in that entire mega franchise. Yeah, and, and so I, I just really am fascinated by Nebula in those movies, and I think it's a just a great character, and I think it would be worth studying and looking at. And then finally, I, I want to round back around to Ang Lee, and I would talk about Gemini Man. Yeah, okay. Uh, Smith and Smith, and uh, talk about that, that element there as well, and uh, the younger variant of his his character, his uh, younger, faster, better, stronger uh, version of him, and, and and going into you know not just the kind of morality of it, but also a lot of the 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 meta element of it as well, with the aging actor and the aging career and the the, the aging dealing, filmmaker, yeah, yeah. And, and dealing with the rise of digital, which is I think a really interesting uh, subtext there, as you know we've got this completely CGI'd character that looks like Will Smith. Um, and kind of dealing with where we're at with analog versus digital, and, and kind of moving that. And I think I think uh, 
uh, Gemini Man pairs very well with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, especially with the Jin Yu's character and, and her arc. And so I think that'd be a fun back-to-back to look at and study. Uh, and I also will die on a hill for uh, Gemini Man. So that's where we're at. I'm so sad I didn't get to see that I in theaters. I haven't seen it either, man. Well, yeah, I, I was not going to go to anything other than a high frame rate showing. Uh, and I kept keeping my eye on it, then they were gone. So uh, you, you got to go to a high frame rate yes. for it, though, right? Yeah. You, you enjoyed it. Yeah, I am fascinated by Gemini Man. I, I don't necessarily know that objectively is it good but i i think it's probably one of the most interesting movies that came out last year yeah i I hear you and so that's that's where i'm at yeah look you're talking to the guy that likes uh cats so yeah that is true uh dustin uh i i have my theories about your class but uh you know i'll I'll let you say what you want to say i think this class would be it would be like a module it might be a week or two weeks i'm not quite sure depending on how often the class would meet uh again i keep visualizing the actual like oh i know you do you pedagogy you're really thinking about the legwork of organizing how you'd put it together and where it would fit in i think it would be a class about chinese martial arts transnational chinese martial arts cinema Mm. and so the transnationality of martial arts cinema more specifically so we would look mostly at Chinese stuff, we wouldn't look at Japanese stuff necessarily, and uh, China would include mainland Hong Kong, Thailand, or Taiwan, excuse me, and uh, also what's going on in the United States and how this sort of uh, interchange is going there. Uh, and I think this section would be about the wuxia genre itself, and so I and and it's sort of a arrival, uh, it's burial and resurrection um, that comes about with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Dustin, we've said that word a lot already this episode. Do you want to help the listener out with like a real quick uh, footnote definition of wuxia uh, in case they, they've been wondering? Uh... Yeah, wuxia is Lord of the Rings for the Chinese. That feels pretty pretty good. Yeah, uh, the... it's 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 King Arthur and his knights. Yeah, it's 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 just. I mean, I mean, the, the closest sort of analog we can sort of ex- express in American parlance is these are. Uh, fairy tales. These are fantasy Where stories. Where the magic is kung fu. The magic is kung fu, and the magic is in the ability to fight. But again, the the green destiny is Excalibur. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, quite, you know, typically. And uh, there's uh, this whole interaction of celibacy that's part of, uh, you know, the, the loyal knight errant. And the codes. And the codes and, and yeah. those kind of things. And so it really fits within that. I mean, the magic itself is different. The rules are different. The culture is different. The customs are different. It's all, you know, very much of its own piece. But um, to give a Western analog to it, it it's simply just the fantasy genre uh, being expressed uh, in a Chinese idiom. And so what I would start out with is, uh, well, King Hu. Um, and Come Drink With Me, we've mentioned already on the yeah. show. But I think I might have showed the Green Dragon in instead. I'm not sure. Um, rather than that, Touch of Zen, I wouldn't go ha- go ahead and go with just because I think it's uh, a different kind of animal. It's a different kind of movie that Hu is trying to make there. Uh, but I-, I think Green Dragon Inn would be a good place to start as a just sort of big, sweeping, you know, kung fu, fantasy, wuxia film. And then uh, talk a bit about the death of the wuxia genre because of the rise of Bruce Lee. Uh, Bruce Lee's films were so popular, yeah. and they were so uh, contemporary set. They were very real life. Uh, the way the wire work is gone at that point, there's a lot more realistic fight choreography that's being used. And that really dominated uh, until 2000. Well, it's got the one-two punch of uh, Bruce, but then you've also got Jackie Chan coming along. Another yeah. uh, superstar in the making that the Shaw passed on. I uh, didn't go to work for the Shaw Brothers Studios, and yeah, they were just doing different things. Though uh, it's interesting to think about an alternate history because uh, Lee was in talks with uh, the Shaw Brothers to oh, do, yeah. do a wuxia film. There, there's some there's some yeah. costume and makeup tests. I've heard about um, this yeah. out there uh, for it. No, 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 no uh, film, no footage. But yeah, it would be very interesting to see how that could have worked. Oh, the movie would have kicked so much Man, ass. It would have been fun. But nonetheless, uh, so I want to look at that and think about it. And uh, so my chronology then would be starting with King Hu. We'd be reading Stephen Tao's um, Chinese martial arts cinema colon the wuxia tradition which is a uh, great text about just this particular genre and uh, its ebbs and flows. And then we would move into Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, And then the third film that we would watch would be an earlier film from 1994 called Ashes of Time, directed by Wong Kar Wai. And the reason why I would want to discuss it in particular is because of the success of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon – it was re-released. It was produced in 1994. Mm. It was re-released in 2001 along with – Oh, the Jet Li movie. Iron Monkey. No, 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 the other one. Uh, the 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 uh, Rashomon with the colors and Hero. Oh, uh, Hero. God, Hero's so good. My brain was just uh. not working. Also re-released. Wait, really? I thought Hero was like an 04 release. 
No, it's like 93. Are you? I think you're thinking of Iron Monkey, bro. Maybe I'm thinking of Iron Monkey. You are thinking of Iron my, Monkey. My, my brain Because that was the conf- one that got re-released. Confronted. Notably. Yeah, right. yeah. Iron Monkey, but also Ashes of Time. But I want to look know at about that one. Car Wise Ashes of Time because it is uh, much more... It's like Nicholas Winding Refn directed Whoa. <laughs> uh, uh, something of a wuxia yeah, film. Does stand up to his other uh, big martial arts film, The Grandmaster? Um, I like it better, but it's weirder. And that just sort of like speaks yeah. to who I am. Yeah. So that, that might be a different yeah I, th- I think your mileage may vary dear listener on that but yeah. then to talk about how this export status sort of works its way out and how distribution took place um quentin tarantino puts together his rolling thunder production company to sort of try to re-release some of these and other exploitation films from the 70s in general and it uh, doesn't really take off uh the weinsteins are also doing some of that work as well you yeah know, at that time trying to find these mm-hmm. films and distribute them and chop them to pieces and chop them to pieces in ways that are you know kind of violent uh but just the discussion then would be about this sort of, again, death and resurrection of this particular genre, and uh, then a more broader discussion of its tropes and the way they're put together. And uh, that, that, that there did exist, again, there were wuxia films being made in uh, mainland China and in Hong Kong and in Taiwan, but they weren't really getting released in the United States. Um, the only ones that were going international were those sort of real-life kind of movies. And, of course, the American um, aping of these kinds of films was always along those lines in your Chuck Norris films, etc. And so uh, that's in, in terms of martial arts. And so just discussing the uh, industrial pressures as well as sort of the generic uh, genre tropes would be uh, the section there on, I guess, a, a broader class on martial arts transnational cinema, which would eventually would have an entire section devoted to turtles and pizza. But, yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah, but that's a different discussion altogether. If you want a really quick primer, uh, listener, uh, there's this uh, Netflix doc from, actually, I actually think it was last year, called uh, Iron Fists and Kung Fu Kicks. Uh, it's really good. They've got a lot of great uh, interviews with fight choreographers uh, of a couple of different generations, uh, but a lot of uh, current contemporary uh, uh, martial arts ac- uh, actors who have martial arts backgrounds and fight choreographers just talking about the history of Wuxia. Uh, Shaw Brothers, all the way through Bruce Lee and Crouching Tiger, uh, and all the way up into you know the the modern era of streaming and stuff. Uh, so yeah, if you want a quick primer on this stuff that Dustin's talking about, it's out there. Uh, it's really fascinating film history. And, and martial arts films in particular are very documented in terms of documentaries. Yeah. There, there's lots of supercut kind of yeah, lots best of great actors, archival best footage. Yeah, so um, it, it's definitely a it's a genre you can learn relatively quickly. Yeah, if you don't already know it. Um, there's enough stuff where you can see bits of the big stuff and then just catch individual movies as you want to sort of uh, deepen your understanding. So it's an easy genre to get into. It does have that, that fortunate perk of uh, being one of the genres that started after we started getting serious about making sure film survived. Yes, yeah. which is handy. Yeah, helps. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer. I Ex- think Extensively. Um, I believe, though, it is now time to get down to the business. It's Right, and that business is, as always, analysis. There are many. Oh, we're not going to fight. We're, uh, we can. All right, we'll fight later. Excellent. Uh, we can talk. Dustin. Yeah, now probably. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'll surprise you. I'm Dalton, wiry. Dalton Scrappy. Yeah. People have been surprised. But I cheat. That is true. He does. Uh, not a man of honor. Speaking no, of honor, not big deal in this movie. Do we want to start there? I guess honor is the thing, right? Yeah. Honor in class and the like, kind of the nuances of that, right? And the obligations there, too, right? Yeah. So it, it, it's very much a story about how do we take care of our responsibilities versus our own desire. And right? how do people perceive either? Not just like how do people perceive like me doing my responsibilities or chasing my desires? How do people perceive the way I follow my responsibilities or the way I follow my desires, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot there. Some real id ego, super ego stuff at play here. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. I think uh, the Freudian reading there, I think, is, is huge because there is a sort of, I mean, maybe not id and ego so much as uh, the symbolic order sort of inscribing upon you this sort of set of regulations and rules, the word of the Father, Allah Lacan, yeah. that, that, that directs you, and yet at the same time, you have this underlying wound, right? This lack because you're unable to fulfill whatever um, things you actually do want, and that that stuff becomes 
um, the real in a sense because I think about the love between Chao Yun Fat and Michelle Yao. It become it's always unspoken. It cannot yeah. be spoken. It is that which cannot be symbolized. It's it cannot so, find its way back into language. Which is language. why it's so sexy. Right. It's very hot. <sighs> yeah. But I mean, to to give some context for for anybody who hasn't seen this in a while or decided to listen to, to us before they watched it. So, so Chao Yun Fat and Michelle Yeo's characters are deeply in love with each other, but because uh, Michelle Yeo uh, was betrothed uh, to. Oh my gosh, Chow Yun Fat's brother. I, I, I was gonna actually. I had a character name. Oh wow! I had a Chow Yun Fat's character's name. For oh, Limu Bai. Thank you. Uh, yeah, she was betrothed to, but yeah, Ming was his brother. Um, and so now that uh, Ming is dead, uh, this love has grown as they've comforted each other, and they just because of the honor ba- vows that they have taken as these uh, wandering sword fighters, uh, they can't do it. Meanwhile, you've got Zhang Ji's character Jin, uh, who's in love with this bandit uh, played by. Uh, I, had his name in my head and forgot it, but he's, uh, he's an actor. Uh, he's an actor. He he goes by Dark Cloud sometimes, but the ladies call him Low. Uh, <laughs> and they, yeah, she's she's got she's betrothed to this dude through her parents because her dad's the governor, but she's in love with this hot bandit. Uh, and meanwhile, she's got this very complicated mentor mentee surrogate child parent relationship with Jade Fox, this uh, famous other bandit who uh, murdered Ming, uh, Li Mubai's brother. Yeah. So you've got all these intersecting relationships that are all tied up in stuff like not just honor uh, and station, but yeah, personal desire and uh, uh, personal duty and class and all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it is really interesting. Um, how, wh- I think also that there is, there is the aspect of race that's playing as well that we don't think about as much. Yeah, because, no, they I mean, bring it up. There's a quasi-Mongolian kind of... Uh, yeah, low... To low his bar- yeah. his barbaric sort of behavior yeah. and uh, but his horse uh, work and stuff yeah like there there's the implication that him and his his band of guys might be Mongolian and he refers to her uh, to Jen's character as Han and she's like no actually I'm I'm Manchurian like right. th- they bring up the nuances of uh, ethnicity within and there's discussion China, of yeah. the chins as well yeah oh I missed that okay yeah. and so I mean all of that's at work and I, I'm not fluent oh yeah in there's this conversation we're just bringing it up that it exists in the text of the film not and, that we know enough to talk about and it. so but there are all these assumptions that go along with it yeah. and I think what the film is suggesting if, if i if i read it right is that all of your assumptions about these mongols or these manchurian slash han slash chins etc that they, they tend to be wrong yeah they, they tend to they tend to upset those apple cards i yeah. mean again I'm, I'm not speaking from a great amount of knowledge here no but i i think from the text of the film that that's a fair read i i'm really intrigued by this there's this final moment i've been waiting for us to get to spoiler territory so we can talk about it uh but th- this final moment between uh, Jade Fox uh, and Jen is so great. And uh, Cheng Pei Pei is, we, ha- we kind of loosely reference this movie, uh, Come Drink With Me, that she's in. Uh, famous, great movie. Uh, yeah, I've only seen clips of it, but really cool stuff. But there's this famous fight scene in a tea house uh, that, you know, she's one of the, the first notable female uh, wushu leads. Uh, and huge, like, prolific dancer, saw the writing on the wall, was like, I got to get a dancing into these movies. Uh, and she picked up the fight choreography super quick because of her dance background. Huh. Uh, but uh, the tea house fight scene here in Crouching Tiger. And she's does, also very easy on the eyes. She's very pretty. Uh, she looks great in Crouching Tiger still, man. Yeah, uh, yeah Chang Pepe is gorgeous. Uh, but again, super talented uh, fighter and, and uh, dancer. Uh, and this uh, Come Drink With Me has this big tea house fight that gets referenced in the film. But there's this moment towards the towards the end where we learn a new dynamic that Jade Fox has stolen uh, the, the secret manual of Wudan martial arts uh, from uh, Li Mubai and his, his homies. Uh, and she's only been able to learn from the manual. She's illiterate. And they don't ever fully state that she's illiterate. She just states she couldn't figure it out. And the, the implication is she couldn't figure it out because she could only look at the pictures. Yeah. Uh, and this whole time, uh, Jin has been sneaking behind her back and reading the manual and learning yep. way more than her and not telling her. And that's the thing that breaks her heart. It's not yeah. that she wants to run off and be with Lo, yeah. that she's kind of friends with her enemies. It's that my student knew more than me and hid it from me. Yeah. And yeah. like, I thought we were friends. Yeah. yeah. And it's that, that betrayal. And it, that is, it is this bratty behavior that Jin can't stop almost compulsively doing yeah um that it just like ruins their relationship and gets people killed i mean it makes sense that ang lee directs the incredible hulk film after this because i mean yeah. really in a way jen is that she just i mean she's just, so angry she's just all the time and just does whatever i mean she is this like walking id going back yeah. to freud she just yeah. does what she wants whenever she wants and uh it, it's interesting for a sounds character. like a rich person well i mean yeah i mean that's the thing right like yeah jang g is 
character. And again, that that's a nuance of this performance, right? Like you never, you were so frustrated with her, but uh, I shouldn't say you, uh, I didn't. Uh, the missus watched this with me, and uh, she couldn't wait for Jen to die. <laughs> she was so pissed. <laughs> uh, but uh, again, I think Jenny's performance is so good because you you see where she's coming from. You like you are you understand yeah. her frustration with this life that she's being forced into, yeah. and uh, the only way she knows how to get out of this life of ceremonial power is to accumulate actual physical power and use right, it against right. anybody in her way. Yeah. 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 And, and, and that violence is sort of her recourse. Yeah. And, and that and she wants it. And I think the other side of the class discussion is she wants a different kind of life. She doesn't want to be a bureaucrat's wife. That's what she's trying to avoid. She's, she's, she's a princess, if we want to use our Western sort of uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, lens on this again. Yeah. She's a princess who doesn't want to be a princess. She wants to be, uh, she wants to be a knight. Yeah. Well, but then she doesn't. Right, because yeah. it's not what she's actually shirking is responsibility. Yeah, and I think that that's maybe a potential read of it. And there's a lot of potential she reads. Wants of to this. go live in the desert and maybe hold up some carriages or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. because she gets the option to be a knight. Like Li Mu Bai is convinced, and Chow Yun Fat in these scenes is so good. But he's he's convinced that he can he can reach her. He's like, yep. I don't care if they say women can't join. You, we'll make an exception. Uh, you already know everything. Like I'm telling you, though, you you don't understand what kind of power you have right now. She doesn't want to hear it. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to hear the great power comes great responsibility conversation. Uh, and uh, it's it really is tragic, and it comes back to that honor thing, right? Uh, which is not to say that all rich people are uh, inherently void of honor. Uh, mm, you can make that argument, and I wouldn't stop you. But that's not to say that that's They're the case. They're kind because they have money. That's right, Arthur. Uh, <laughs> but, I, again, the nuance of the character, I, I think, allows... Because, again, we, we're we making some jokes right now, and this film could be very reductive uh, about class and stuff, but I think there's nuance to Jen. Yeah, oh, I think yeah. so, too. Yeah. And I also think uh, there's a there's a feminist reading to this film as well that we have to address. Well, and that's that was, I think, a big part of this, right? Like, she does not want this life of service, because mm-hmm. this is the life that she's been told she has to fulfill. And that's why she doesn't want to be a knight errant, because it's just another cage that somebody's trying to put her in. It feels like a 90s Disney princess movie. A little bit, yeah, but like with a much different... Uh, it's a 90s Disney princess movie if, you know... That knows some, how to deal with it. That didn't break the third act, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I think this, I, the, the film is really... I mean, the, the leads... The leads are Jen and Hello. Michelle Yao. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh-huh. and 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 and, and Pei Pei Chang. I mean, those really yeah. are the leads. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Chow Yun Fat is there, and he's important, but he seems to be a support character. Yeah, uh, sure. Much he's Mad Max. So. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. I, I think this is absolutely a woman's story yeah. as a film, which is uh, surprising and uh, interesting and exciting. Well, the big fight of the movie, and boy, howdy, uh, ne- never has a fight scene started cooler than fine. The friendship is over. Yeah. unsheathed sword like that's the moment of the movie that's oh my god i got goosebumps just talking about it. that's mm-hmm. the moment of the movie yeah is michelle yo going all right is this what we're gonna do all right we're Let's not sisters it. anymore i'm gonna kick your ass dude yeah yeah i'm about to mess you up like and you're absolutely give me right. a fat beat while i beat my buddy <laughs> yeah <laughs> only good line for my too uh, uh r.i.p dj am uh, uh weird that movie came out after that guy died anyway uh yeah it's a it is a profoundly like nuanced moment of like female relationships on film in this kick-ass kung fu movie and it's all about like their friendship and their inability to surmount like these personal slights like and i I love michelle yo's like constant like bottomless patience with jen and i love like it's in the lead up to this scene that she's like all right i've i have tried with you i'm done i'm finished (laughs) it's as a parent dustin knows how that feels i'm sure to be finished with them, yes. <laughs> and then I pull out a sword your, and I yes. try to chop them up in tiny pieces. <laughs> I mean, look, with I, it's very funny. I, I can't speak to the nuances of female friendship, obviously, but I mean, I think anybody has had a point in their life where there's somebody they're close to. They're like, I want to fight you right now. I'm done with you. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to well, be in this friendship. There's a broken asshole. sister relationship. There. There's a broken mother relationship. Yeah. You know, with Jade Fox, and yeah. so it's it's all working. You know, on on a lot of levels. It's much more interested in again, very much um, female. Um, homosocial relations uh which is you know well in the surprising. way th- those relationships in- impact those romantic relationships right because again the, your lowe's relationship to Jin and uh lucien's relationship to lee mumbai like these things come up within the the confines of these yeah as you said these uh these homosocial female relationships but they are all like kind of existing in the the echo and the shockwave of these relationships between uh the three female leads as you said mm-hmm. yeah i think that's a very good point Dustin. yeah 
So uh, I want to talk about the ending. Uh, so the ambiguity of it, the or? ambiguity of it, and just in general, and and just just figuring out how we read it because. Every time I watch it, I think something different. Okay. Uh, so the first time I watch it, so uh, there's a legend that is told to her by Lo that uh, if you jump off a mountain, you know, with, with complete faith and believing in a wish, you get your wish. And maybe you don't die. Maybe you do die. You just disappear for eternity. Maybe, uh, you go to the heavy side layer, right? Uh, something, you know. I'm just going to keep referencing cats. I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right, I, I won't know yeah. what you're talking Old about. Old Deuteronomy sends you to the heavy side layer. Oh, Cats is about a death cult, Dustin. We'll oh. talk about it off air. Fair enough. Um, no. The first time I watched the film back in 2000, I thought she dies. I thought, okay, so she's just going to die and try the afterlife and see if that doesn't work better for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, that More recently, I've begun to think that she's actually um, anticipating a reincarnation, that the wish is that she gets to live again and try it better. And that sort of helps me because it seems to me that that's exactly what's rejected by Michelle Yao and Chow Yun-Fat in his death scene. Because she does everything she can to encourage him to let go of everything so that she, that he won't be reincarnated. I he, can't that wait to ascend, be reincarnated. Oh, my God. He will seems... ascend to Nirvana rather than – is, is sort yeah. of the option that he's taking. And she's continuing just to – I'm going to go right back into Samsara. Like I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm all about the cycle right now. Yeah, and I'm gonna figure it out this next time. It just, you know, I get an extra mm. life. I like that read. Yeah, I do too. and so that that's where I'm at now with it. Uh, I I write it as the the wish is freedom, and yeah, there's the one place people can't tell her what to do is death. Mm. Yeah, uh, I definitely write it that way. But yeah, I, I wasn't uh, appreciating uh, the fact that there's definitely an afterlife in this fantasy world. Uh, like reincarnation definitely exists because we're in a fantastical martial arts land. Uh. But uh, so I hadn't really considered that in my reading of the film. I really like your read of it, though, Dustin. Yeah, that's it's really poetic. That's good. I well, like that. I'm like, say, I'm only recently there. You didn't make I, it. I get I, it, and I and I hold it very tentatively. Well, um, I I like it though I because because in the it it's such a good juxtaposition to that scene. Yeah, uh, Chowing Fat Michelle Yeoh, which breaks my heart, dude. Mm-hmm. Like it, there there is that is a beautiful scene, and yeah. like the the. We've talked about the acting, but that that scene is really next level. And just the the right again, I, I don't know how good the translation is, but uh, the the captions, uh, oh boy, howdy, they move me. Mm-hmm. Uh, even like a, you know, you you always assume when you're watching a, a you know subtitled translation that you're getting the the Cliff Notes version of what's being said, but they communicate so much in that translation. Uh, it's I, I know that uh, a filmmaker, a friend of Ang Lee's, a screenwriter he collaborated with a lot, helped with the, the translation. I can't... He gets the writing credit on it. He does, yeah. yeah, and I can't think of his name. But uh, the, the the fact that he's just like, no, I, I would rather have to do being alive again as long as it means I get to remember you. Like, that's so sweet. That sweet, yeah. Oh, it's so nice. Oh, you just want somebody to feel that way. Everybody wants somebody to feel that way about them. And so, yeah, I, I love that uh, that reading you have, Dustin, because it does fit so nicely with where the the other relationship ends. Are there other big analytical threads that we want to tackle with this film? Well, you mentioned a little bit uh, the the birth, uh, death, and rebirth of wuxia as a genre, and I, I, I it's so funny. I grabbed this quote uh, that I come, came across in between us recording that I thought might come in handy today. Uh, this is uh, Leo Brody uh, from The World in a Frame. Uh, just a, a quick quote that I find interesting on genre. Genre films essentially ask the audience, do you still want to believe this? Popularity is the audience answering yes. Change in a genre occurs when the audience answers, that's too infantile a form of what we believe. Show us something more complicated. Uh, mm-hmm. Really like that. Uh, stumbled across that quote on a video essay. Who and, is uh, that? Uh, Leo Brody, B-R-A-U-D-Y. Uh, the world in a frame uh, is uh, where the quote comes Interesting. from. Interesting. Uh, but I really like that. And uh, I think that gives us something to chew on uh, here. And uh, Dustin, I, I guess I'll let you start because you know the most about this genre and uh, it's spread internationally. Well, I do think it is a move into uh, something of a, a seriousness with the wuxia genre. Uh, think about like... Well, I would think horror film would be a great example here where there's been a, a shift in generically because horror If you movie, say elevated horror, I'm going to slap you. No. no, I, <laughs> no I'm I was going to go to the 80s. I was going to go to oh, the Oh, even better. But I was going to start with the 30s and the Frankenstein movies. Yeah. And even though Frankenstein is, I mean, in, in some sense, there's not a lot of laughs in Frankenstein or Bride of Frankenstein or Dragon. Bride of Frankenstein's got some laughs. Well, okay. There, there, are, there are some. But they were 
ultimately marketed as children's films. They, these are kids' movies. Spooky stories for babies. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that's what it was. Of course, then it evolves into Abbott Costello, Meet the Wolfman, yeah. etc. And those kind of things. And something happens by the 80s, or the late 70s, the early 80s, and horror takes a generic shift into something less infantile. I mean, definitionally, I mean, in terms of demographics, and moves itself into something a bit more grown up. And I think that's exactly the same thing that the wuxia genre does. Because you look at those early wuxia films, and even in the 90s, um, there's some Lao movies. Um, Eagles Shooting Heroes is a, not the right title. It's close to it. It's on Criterion. Hmm. Um, they're, man, they're, they're a chuckle a minute. I mean, they're just, they're stupid, silly, campy. Come Drink With Me is pretty silly. I mean, King Who moves away from that. And that's why I mentioned Touch of Zen being something kind of altogether different because there's there's sort of kung fu in it but it's about meditation almost more than yeah. anything else and i know there's this famous one i think the one arm uh there's something about a one arm swordsman that's yeah. japanese no there's a different there's oh, a oh, the, I mean, shaw brothers movie about a one arm swordsman yeah. and it was like one of the first like hyper violent wuxia films yeah it was all about the like very dramatic heroic bloodshed mm. so it's interesting like even Within like cycles, you get little little permutations, little, little, little blips, little of, blips of things to come. Yeah, yeah, and, and and so I do think Crouching Tiger is a moment where Ang Lee comes into it and says, "I'm gonna I'm gonna take this very seriously," mm. and that's that is the uh, com- complexity permutation there. And you're seeing some of that already happening because you've already seen Hero, you've already seen Ashes of Time. I mean, they're they're playing around with that, so there are some of these more serious kind of uh, iterations of this, but at the same time. Uh, what is a crouching dragon, hidden tiger? The Sammo Hung film that came out the next year. Oh, really? Which is a Sammo Hung film. Yeah, well, it's Sammo Hung. If you're not an Nishay listener, he he likes his movies silly. Uh, yeah, he's a well, okay, Poe from Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, that that's Sammo Hung. Man, that dude can move though. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a very good uh, comparison. Yeah. Uh, loved, loved actually punching people in fight scenes. That was Sam Holmes' thing. He yeah. wanted you to hit him, and he was going to hit you. Yeah, good times for I guess some people. Somebody, some people like to be hit. Uh, but anyway, so I, I think that is sort of the the, the the genre movement. The way I see it is, uh, but interesting, kung fu itself moved to some place that was more serious. So here's another wrinkle in the uh, in the transition from your quote there. Is that with Bruce Lee and uh, the Big Boss and uh, Fist of Fury and uh, Way of the Dragon and Enter the Dragon, uh, and then I guess later Game of Death, um, posthumously produced and finished. Those are much more serious kind of revenge, defense kind of stories. There yeah. are moments of fun- comedy. I mean, again, the Way of the Dragon is actually quite hilarious uh, in, in bits and pieces. I mean, he rips out a tuft of a man's chest here. Yeah. That's intended as a gag. Right. Well, and, th- and then there's like a, a meet-cute moment with some rando Italian girl uh, while he's in Rome, and he doesn't realize that she wants to proposition him for sex, and then he's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's very silly. Uh, fun movie. So there's some of that going on in even that, and there is some comedy in, of course, Jackie Chan films. Oh, he wanted to make Buster Keaton kung fu movies. And and so you see the transition move from silly to serious to silly to serious yet again. Yeah. And so I mean again it, it just sort of how do you play with the tropes and then do something just a little bit different a little bit, you know, uh The Matrix is an example of Star Wars that was rated R, right? I'm oh yeah, sure. Yeah, so it, it's the same yeah. kind of, we'll move science fiction out of kid stuff into you know, this adult sort of franchise blockbuster well, rather than the other mode. You can even go, I mean, uh, within a franchise, right? And we'll go ahead and uh, use uh, the John Wick franchise because I, I think the the groundwork laid in Hollywood by Ian Wu-Ping, like, uh, the, the, so the, when Shaw Brothers shuts down, like, this employs a lot of Hong Kong. Uh, so you have a lot of people from the Hong Kong film industry moving to L.A. because there's jobs. Uh, so that groundwork that gets laid because of that and because of Ian Wu-Ping uh, doing uh, the choreography for the Matrix trilogy, and then also the international success of this film, you have a, a Hollywood that is now invested in like fight choreography in a way that it never was. And so, with John Wick, you have you know these meathead dudes who are kind of geniuses uh, who've been stuntmen for years who say, "Let's take real." Which is I'm again, this is dismissive to say real fighting. I'm sorry, Wusha uh, is very pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would think martial artists uh, who work on these films would tell you that it's, you know, it's it's fantasy. And you have these guys who are stumbling that say, let's take meathead operator, like, gunplay uh, in jujitsu and make it as pretty as wushu. 
Uh, and the first John Wick's a very serious like tragedy. But by the time you get to two and three, those are funny movies. They're silly. Lots of jokes. Uh, in both, of, I mean, even the first one's got some jokes. But two and horse three, foo. horse foo. Uh, you've got uh, the big with a pencil gag at the top of two, like referencing one. Uh, so even within like a one franchise that is like trying to ape the aesthetic beauty uh, of this kind of resurgent wuxia that we get in the early 2000s, by the end of the 2010s, it's already come back around to comedy again. Like there's a lot of there's references to Buster Keaton within both John Wick two and three, uh, and a lot of like physical stunts that recall Jackie Chan hurting himself for our amusement, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're right. It is interesting to see how these things kind of mutate uh, in, in terms of what sorts of buttons they're trying to push. Yeah, very good. Uh, any, any other final thoughts before we render a verdict? No, it's just a good movie. Let's Let, do it. Let's do it. Well, okay. Shelf or trash? What do we say? Shelf? Shelf? This Shelf. Yeah, like I we're mean, an anti-trash month. What do you want from us? Yeah, yeah, of course we are. So, yeah. yeah. We'll challenge the canon occasionally, but no, nah, this is a good movie. So, Dalton, tell them how to talk to us. Oh, well, yeah, if you've liked any of this at all uh, and want to be part of it, you can uh, email us your long-form feedback uh, to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. That is goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at good underscore trash to find out what kind of movies, you know, what kind of movie news we're keeping an eye on, what uh, articles we like, uh, you know, we're there. Uh, if you want to help keep the lights on, you can find us at uh, patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, lots of fun bonus episodes there. We try to do at least one a month, uh, sometimes special stuff. You give us enough money, and we'll send you a DVD. We might ask you some questions about what sort of movies you like. Fun stuff. That's patreon.com forward slash GTM. And uh, I don't know, rate, review, subscribe. You know the deal. Uh, we're, we're not on Spotify, but we're pretty much everywhere else. That's Great. it. That's how you talk to us. Very good, very good. So, Arthur... Behind the curtain, you have yet another film for us, which is somehow related to the number 20. Uh, I, I, I do. Uh, and so next week, uh, do some scheduling stuff. We're going to do a double record. So I'm going to go ahead and announce the next two movies in the uh, Anti-Trash 2020 lineup. Ooh. So next week, this is episode 350 that you're listening to right now. Episode 351 is going to... You know, I, I'm really glad that you mentioned the marriage of dance and, and, and fight. I think that's going to lay the groundwork for next week. Next week, we're going to talk about the movie that comes in at number 20 on Sight and Sound's all-time best movies list. Okay. It's a West Side Story? <laughs> we're going to go back to 1952. And boys, I hope you brought your umbrellas, because we're going to be singing, singing in the rain. In the that rain. makes way more sense of West Side Story, where you said dance fighting, and I, that's where I went. I have never seen Singing in the Rain. I am pumped. Whoa. I watched it for my class last semester. I've been putting um, this movie off for a smooth 15 years at least. Ooh. A lot yeah. older than that. Well, yeah, that's how long <laughs> I've been wanting to catch up with it. Yeah, it predates me by a bit. Uh, what what uh, the fine folks at home have to look forward to to episode uh, 352, Arthur? Well, after the rain comes the sunshine. But sometimes the pain remains even when the sun shines. So we're going to look at a movie that was made with a $20 million budget. Okay. <laughs> and we're going to really try to deal with our past loves. As we really get into the surreal and talk about that eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Oh, baby. Oh, nice. Fun. Very fun. Oh, baby. I'm there. I am so excited to revisit that movie. Uh, wow. Arthur, you programmed quite a fun lineup in our uh, 20, uh, 2020 yeah, marathon. Nice. I'm excited, you like it. about it. That's so very cool. There you have it, listener. Singing in the Rain, followed by uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. We'll get to hear what the three of us think about it back to back. You'll have to wait a couple of weeks, but that's what you have to look forward to. Very cool, very cool. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.